0: All right. Well, a few years ago, I heard a story on NPR about a woman named Felicity Aston. She's a Brit, and uh, she was the first woman to ever ski across Antarctica solo, okay, by herself. Now, the route is a thousand miles long. It took her 59 days to complete the journey, and she dragged her supplies behind her on a sled that was attached to her waist. For the whole time. Now, just to be clear, this is an amazing, athletic, and human achievement. All right. Now, just to be very clear, this sounds awful on almost every level. I mean, every level. She's freezing cold the whole time. She's constantly hungry. She described it. um, And you have a sled attached to your body for two straight months. But what might be the worst to me, as I heard this story, was the isolation of the whole thing, the loneliness of it. Right. She, uh, halfway across Antarctica, she stopped at the station that sits right on top of the South Pole, and it was the only day off of skiing that she took in two months, but she took a break day at the station, and she said about that day, this is a quote from the story, there were people there waiting for me, and it was just wonderful to see some friendly faces. I spent a day at the pole, and it was a day off from skiing, but I think more than that, it was a day off from the stress of being totally responsible for myself. You know, at the pole, I knew I was safe. See, but then back on the ice the next day, right? Got to finish this thing. Can't take forever. So back on the ice. And then she reports that for the second half of the journey, she spent most of her time talking to the sun. Okay, just out there all alone having conversations with the sun. I listened to this story and that image of a sole person on a sea of ice and snow and sky, totally alone, having a conversation with the sun, it just seared in my mind, right? Again, this is amazing that she did it, but it's haunting at the same time. Like, this is a, a picture of human achievement, but it is not a picture of healthy, lasting, rich, human flourishing. We were not designed to be alone. It is not good for us to be alone. There's a reason when humans go to the boundaries of the world, top of Everest or solo missions across Antarctica, we call this the death zone, right? And for good reason, because when we go to places like that, our bodies, our humanity literally begins to unravel, like we weren't meant to live there. Our bodies unravel, but it's not just our bodies. The kind of isolation that places like that require undo our humanity in other ways, too emotionally, psychologically. You are not designed to have conversations with the sun, okay? That's not sort of in the realm of human flourishing. If we were meant, we were not meant to live in this world alone. And if we try, our humanity, our spirit, it begins to unravel, okay? We weren't designed to live that way. This sermon is uh, number five in a seven-week series that we're doing here at Grace called Grace DNA, The big picture of this series is just to ask some basic questions. Who are we as a church? Why are we here? What's our mission? And then to extend an invitation. Do you want to be a part of what God is doing here? And the short answer is this. Grace Church is a church that's committed to receiving and celebrating the amazing gifts that God has poured out into this world through the gospel of Jesus. We believe that God communicates these gifts and applies these gifts to his people through the Holy Spirit, communicated through the Bible. We believe that this old book, right, the one that we have a few of on our shelf at home that just generally tends to sit there, but we've got a few of them. This old book, it's not just a cultural artifact. It's not just ancient history. It's not just a moral guide or a resource of wisdom. It is all of those things. But we believe that at the heart, the Bible is a reservoir of love and joy. And that as we kind of sink our roots into it and draw the nutrients up from it, it changes us. We're we're transformed because this is where we meet Jesus himself. All right. And as we draw from this book, day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out, God will re- change our lives to reflect his family love. And, and people who have encountered Jesus here, as we receive his forgiveness and love, we become conduits of, of his love to those around us. And the way we've described that is that we are a church about loving God, loving one another, and loving our valley. So that's that's the big picture. And we've taken a couple weeks to look at each of these three great branches of the Christian life that really describe all we want to be here at this church. The last sermon in this series was on spiritual friendship. By the way, we record these, and we put them all online. So if there's one you missed, or if there's one you want to share with a buddy, you can just go to our website, and they're all available there. But what we saw in that sermon is that we were not designed to live alone, right? We were not designed to live this Christian life alone, and you were actually designed to grow closer to God through deep, intimate, life-giving, mutually encouraging spiritual friendships, So the last time we looked at God's purpose and design for those relationships, today I want to press a little further into what that looks like in the everyday life of our church. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing. If our church is known for speaking the content of the gospel without living out a culture of the gospel, then we've completely missed the gospel. Okay? I mean, what I mean is, if we are amazing theologians, every one of us, right? Out there reading systematic theology in our spare time, and we've got this whole thing dialed. If we are deeply committed Bible people, but our relationships and our community don't communicate the same thing that we believe, then we're not being the church that God calls us to be. As Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 13, we read this earlier. If I speak in the tongues of men or angels but have not love, I'm just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, right? We're just out here making noise. It doesn't have impact. It's not who God calls his church to be. So the question for this morning is, how do we love one another in this church? How do we live out a gospel community? And the good thing is we don't have to make this up, all right? We don't have to start from a blank whiteboard. We have a playbook, a guide to the relationships within our church. Peppered throughout the New Testament are all of these one another statements, okay? uh, That God gives his church then and now to describe our life together. Listen to just a few of these. These are the, the guide rails, the direction, the arrows that God points us down when we're talking about how to live together as a church. He says, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Or again in Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do not lie to one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Encourage one another with these words. Consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Do not grumble against one another. There's a practical one, right? confess your sins to one another pray for one another show hospitality to one another above all in first peter 4 we read keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins one of my favorites the one that actually gets repeated second most love one another is the one that gets repeated the most second most is greet one another with a holy kiss Alright? I'm gonna let you guys work out how you want to apply that in your own lives. I'm not here to to dictate anything. I'm just saying, I'm just saying what's in the Bible. Okay? So I'll let you guys figure it out. There's around 50 of these one-another statements throughout the Bible that create a rich tapestry of community life that God is inviting His people to participate in. And all of these one-anothers, they're not they're not meant to apply to sort of theoretical Christians out there, right? I mean, most of them are practical, everyday, real-world commands. These were letters written to and for local churches just like ours, and the commands are for our life together. These commands are for the relationships that are represented in this room. We are the one-anothers that the Bible is asking us um, to create a gospel community with. This is what it means to be the church. Of course, church means gathering together on Sunday morning, what we do here, hearing God's word, worshiping God's name. This is our common identity and our common source of life. But if that's all church is for us, we're missing out on a whole life that God intends for us to enjoy and be challenged and transformed by. The church is not just what goes on in our heads, intellectual belief, it's, it's lived behavior. And the New Testament never recognizes one without the other. Here's the big idea. Being Grace Church, our DNA, is a wider and more holistic calling on our lives than what we do with one and a half hours on a Sunday morning. Being Grace Church means entering into a gospel community, okay? You could take any one of these one another commands in the Bible and, and unpack the implications of it for our life. There was one, there's one that, that I particularly like. And so since I'm the one up here talking, that's the one we're going to look at this morning. Um, and so it's from Hebrews 3. But the reason I like it and the reason I chose it for our time together is because I think it really is expansive. And it really does—it really is practical to how we can grow in to creating a gospel community here at grace. All right, so follow along as I read Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 14. Starting in verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation. And I said, they always go astray in their hearts, Did you catch the one another in that passage? Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. Now, let's be honest. When was the last time you used the word exhort? Okay? What does this word even mean? What is this a calling to? If we're called to exhort one another, what does that even mean? Well, the Greek word there, I don't do this very often because I'm not a Greek scholar, but professionals tell me that. The Greek word here is parakaleo all right? Now, this word literally means para, which is come alongside, and kaleo, which means speak, or or actually even more literally is like yell, okay? So, to exhort someone is to come alongside them and yell at them, all right? So, now, what does this mean? What could this possibly mean? What I think this means is this is a dual calling for all Christians to do two things. It's to, to Come alongside someone to be present with them, to know them, to be involved in their life, and then to speak into their life, to speak the truth of the gospel that we are constantly forgetting in our own hearts. Tim Keller uh, is a pastor in New York. He was particularly helpful for me in understanding this passage. And he says, this word, exhort, is the closest biblical word to the way that we use the word counseling today. And if you think about it, I think he's right. It's a ministry of presence paired with a ministry of truth. Hebrews three is teaching us that vibrant gospel community is a community of counseling. Now, this isn't just professional counseling. This includes professional counseling, but this is um, this is not just professional counseling. This is speaking to all of us untrained, non-professional counselors in this room who are called to be counselors. To, one another. to love one another means to exhort one another. So two questions I want to ask for our time left. Um, first, why do we need counseling? And second, how do we do counseling for one another? Okay, Why do we need it? How do we do it? Why do we need it? The short answer to why we need it um, <clears throat> is that, uh, is that uh, all of us, in one way or another, are Felicity Aston. Okay? All of us, in one way or another, are this woman, this British explorer, who are making our way across this barren wilderness in which we were never meant to live. All right? Uh, The reason we need this is because we cannot flourish alone in this world. In Hebrews 3, the author refers back to a time when God's people, the nation of Israel, they were in between Egypt and the land that God had promised them, the promised land. And we just read this in verse 7, the Holy Spirit says, "Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing when they were in the wilderness." The Israelites traveled through the wilderness 40 years, for an entire generation. It was a desert It was an arid land. It was a place that you couldn't settle in and were never designed to live in. They could travel through it, but they couldn't live there, not long-term. They couldn't flourish there as a people. And the author of Hebrews is writing this letter to suffering people in the wilderness of his day, and he's writing it to suffering people in the wilderness of our day. Not a barren desert, but a barren spiritual world. He's writing to us as well. And he's saying, you and I live in a world that's a spiritual wilderness. The deepest thirsts and hungers of our hearts cannot be addressed, cannot be met in this world alone. Now, it's not for a lack of trying. All of us are trying all the time to to fulfill that hunger and to satisfy that thirst. But here's the thing. The consensus is in. The consensus is in. Everyone unanimously who has reached a, a, a level of, of sort of um, complete, uh, complete success in various things, in riches, in power, in romance, in family, in work, everybody who has made it to the mountaintop that we're all trying to get to reports back and says, it's still not enough. I'm still missing something. I've done everything I wanted to professionally. It's still not enough. My family is exactly who I hoped it would be. It's still not enough, I made more money than I could possibly have dreamed up when I was a kid. It's still not enough because the spiritual barrenness of this world will never actually satisfy what our hearts are looking for. We're still thirsty. And if we try to make our living here, like if we try to make our home in this world, then we will slowly unravel. We were not meant to live here. We're meant to travel through. We were not meant to live here. Our humanity will slowly unravel and we'll die. During this life's journey, the Bible tells us wilderness experiences will outnumber every other kind of experience, right? That's just the fact. That frustration will outnumber the good vibes regularly. That that fear will outnumber peace that, that moments of uncertainty will outnumber hope. We were not designed to stay here and flourish here. We're just passing through, just like God's people were. And the author of Hebrews is saying, on your wilderness journey, the journey that you're on right now in life, don't be like the Israelites were on their wilderness journey. Do not harden your heart towards God. Do not lose your humanity as you experience the difficulties of this world. There is a way to make it through this journey. To make it through the wilderness wanderings without getting a hard, cynical heart, without trying to, to get, without getting distracted and trying to make our, our life here and our flourishing here, and also without just giving up on the hope that life can be more than the frustrations and the barrenness that we can experience. There is a path through, and here's the path exhort one another every single day, as long as it's called today. See, it's saying we need counseling from each other every day if we have any chance of sticking it out over the long haul with Jesus. You know this. I know this. How easy is it to forget that God is present in your life today? That everything that happens to you, every circumstance is good or bad, he is working out for you. And there's a plan that he sees and controls and that he promises will work out for the good of his children. How easy is it to forget that? I forget that constantly, okay? Constantly. If we're not actively involved in one another's lives, pointing each other to the true destination that our souls were designed to enjoy, if we're not encouraging each other with a timely word of truth, you're loved, you're God's child, your life has meaning and purpose, if we're not being present with one another so that we don't have to make this journey alone, We're going to start believing the harsh wilderness is all there is, and we're either going to get hard and cynical, or we're going to try to make our living here, and both of those lead to our undoing. Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. That's why we need it. So how do we do it? All right? How do we do it? Exhortation, counseling, is a calling to be present in one another's lives and to bring the truth of the gospel to bear on that relationship. Let me say that again. The calling here, how we're gonna love one another is to be present in one another's lives and to bring the truth of the gospel to bear on that relationship. It's a ministry of presence and a ministry of truth. Be present with one another. What does that mean? It means being present physically, right, at the most basic level. It means that when someone has uh, a ski accident, you show up at their house and you haul firewood up the stairs and shovel the snow off their deck because you're already in Aspen and you can swing by and help out and be physically present with them there, right? It means joining a, a, an elderly friend at the Heritage Nursing Home because they, down in Carbondale Heritage, is what it's called, yeah, right, because often they're eating alone, And they don't have to be alone. You can just sit there without an agenda. It means calling up a young family in this congregation once, not all the time because this would be a lot, but once, and offering to babysit their kids for free so they can steal a free date, right? Unexpected, just free. It's a ministry of physical presence in one another's lives. It's also a ministry of emotional presence in one another's lives. It means being willing to go there with them. to to be there with them in their joy and be there with them in their grief. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, bear one another's burdens. This is a ministry of emotional presence. It's a ministry of spiritual presence. Do you know what others in this church are learning right now from God's word? I mean, how is God at work actively in the people in this church that you're sitting with week in and week out? Do you know their story? Have you heard kind of how God has weaved their story throughout their lives? And maybe this is cool because oftentimes we can actually see connections in another person's story that they can't even see themselves because they're in it. And we can actually help them know their own spiritual journey better by being present with them in it. Be spiritually present. Counseling is a ministry of presence. It's also a ministry of truth. Um, This word, again, perikaleo translated here as exhort, it's actually used more than a hundred times in the New Testament. It's a prominent word for how we are to treat one another and the range of its meaning is huge. I don't want to get too listy, but again, listen to a few of the ways that this same word, parakaleo, counseling, gets translated depending on the context and depending on the situation. Brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another. Counseling is comfort. It's comforting someone. A, a leper came to Jesus, imploring him, kneeling. He said to him, if you will, can you make me clean? Counseling is, is imploring, urging. All right? Counseling is guiding. How can I, unless someone guides me? Um, the eunuch said to Philip in Acts 8, counseling is encouraging. I've sent him to you for this very reason, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Pericaleo, And I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Counseling is begging. Okay, the same word means all of these things. Begging, urging, imploring, comforting, encouraging. How can one word mean so many different things? Because being counselors for one another means all of these things. It encompasses this whole range of speaking the truth into one another's lives. Sometimes it's a ministry of presence and tears without words. Sometimes it's a ministry of truth, of encouragement, guidance, comfort, and even a hard word sometimes of truth. And here's the thing. All of us, because of our personality, are going to lean one way or another on this one, either either towards the ministry of presence or towards the ministry of truth. Some of us are naturally fixers, okay? You know who you are. You hear a problem, and the first thing you do is offer the four solutions that that person should probably take um, in the next steps in their life, whether or not they want to hear it, whether or not they ask for it. You're a fixer, okay? Some of us are feelers. Naturally, we want to sit. We want to be quiet. We want to hug. We want to cry with them. And um, we just want to be present. We want to talk out the feelings of the situation. But here's the thing. Fixers, they lean towards the ministry of truth. The problem is this can often be done out of pride without the humility of listening and waiting and understanding how to really love our neighbor, And feelers, they lean towards the ministry of presence, the ministry of tears. The problem with this is it can often be done out of fear, uh, without the courage to say the difficult truth, even when it needs to be said in order to love someone. We all lean one way or another by temperament, but we have to have both to really make it through this world, to make it through the spiritual wilderness. We have to be both for each other. Truth without tears Too brutal, right? It's too mechanical. It's too uh, analytical. Tears without truth is too sentimental. It never gets down to the brass tacks. Practically, how do we follow Jesus in the world? We can't survive without both equally, but who can do this? I mean, who can be all of this for another person? Certainly, we can't do this for each other, but we have been given a wonderful counselor who can counsel us in our journey through this world. Jesus, his ministry embodies both of these truths perfectly all the time. One of my favorite examples of this, and this will be short, but in John 11, Jesus shows up at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, who has just died. He's been in the grave four days, and his two friends, Mary and Martha, both come out to meet him on the road. And So they're in the exact same situation, exact same circumstance, the barrenness and the difficulty of life, okay? And they come to him with the exact same question. You know what both of them say? Word for word, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. If you had been here, our brother would not have died. And you know what Jesus does? To Martha, he speaks the truth. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He brings her into his truth, and he says, things are never lost with me. I am always able to restore and heal, even when all seems lost. He brings her into the truth, but when Mary comes and says the exact same thing in the exact same situation, you know what he says? Nothing. He sits and he weeps with her. He says, Jesus wept. Same situation, same question, and a ministry of truth for one woman, a ministry of tears for the other woman. Jesus Christ is equally committed to the ministry of truth and the ministry of tears. Which is the right move for a counselor? Neither. Both. It depends on the situation. It it, it takes us knowing and understanding what is needed. But his love is so perfect. He is the wonderful counselor. His love is so perfect. He was willing to die on our behalf so he could be present with us for eternity. His ministry to us is a ministry of presence. But his truth is so perfect that he was willing to die on our behalf so that he could satisfy the perfect justice of God and declare us righteous and forgiven and holy and pure. At the very same time, his death for us is a ministry of presence and a ministry of truth, and he does it perfectly. So here's the thing to be any help at all to one another, to exhort one another, to counsel one another, we must first receive the perfect counseling of the wonderful counselor, the one who does this perfectly in ways that we'll never be able to. To help guide any friend towards a transformed life, we must also be experiencing the transformation that only Jesus can bring in our hearts as well. And so to grow as a gospel community and our commitment to be counselors for one another, we need to be counseled ourselves by Jesus. We need to be saved by the presence of Jesus and the truth of the gospel in our life. We need him as our personal counselor. But out of, out of the, the safety And the love and the value that comes from Him in our hearts, then we can actually take the risk to lean into counseling one another. We can take up this role for each other, not perfectly, but intentionally to be present and to encourage one another towards the truth of the gospel, to beg, to urge, to comfort, to contend, all of the things that that means. Point one another towards the eternal love of God. And then finally, We just got to keep doing this for the whole journey. All right, we got to stick this thing out to the end because the temptation will always be, or or the gravity will always be towards forgetfulness and distrust and cynicism and a hard heart. And that is exactly why this author emphasizes that this is not once a week when you come to church. This is not seeing a professional counselor in a moment of crisis in your life. This is counseling one another every day as long as it's called today because that's exactly how often we need it. We've come to share in Christ if, in other words, here's the proof that our faith is a real saving faith. We've come to share in Christ if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And we cannot make this thousand mile journey across a barren landscape alone. We were never intended to, and God gave us the gift of this church so that we wouldn't have to. God has given us all we need for the journey. The wonderful counselor, Jesus and a family of counselors in training, growing together for our heart to grow um, in love of our King and Savior. So love one another like this. At Grace Church, we will be a welcoming place for thirsty people to find real hope if we are counseling, exhorting, a ministry of presence and a ministry of truth in one another's lives. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being our counselor. Thank you for your presence and your nearness and your involvement in our life. Thank you that you have promised to never leave us alone, that you are with us at all times. And thank you for your ministry of truth in our lives, that we need to know that we're sinful, that our hearts tend away from you, but that because of your great love, you have called us back, We need to be reminded of that every day. Help us in this room exhort one another and be a guide and a counselor and a presence and a truth for each other to cling to you during this journey. We ask these things in your name, amen.